Those of you not staying for the end times, take off. That sounds funny, doesn't it? You're not staying for the end times. Get raptured, yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. We'll catch up with you. Okay. If, uh, if somebody be so kind at the back, just walk through the auditorium with those extra sheets for others who did not get them. We are headed to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Now we're going to jump to Daniel. But just to get our minds all working, let's do just something to just get you to converse with me, at least get started. Name something you eat with crackers. Soup, sardines, <laughs> cheese. Here we go. Sliced meat, chili, peanut butter, cheese, and number one was soup. Name a profession where someone might go by an alias name. A spy? Criminal? What's that? A writer. A writer. A what? An impersonator? Okay. You guys are good. A journalist, a private investigator, an undercover cop, a criminal, and a spy was number one. Name a gift some people might feel insulted by if you gave it to them at Christmas time. Another tie. Another tie. <laughs> a scale. Okay. Okay. Soap, deodorant. Okay. Anything else? Underwear. <laughs> Here we go. They said a regifted item. Have you ever done that? You ever get a gift and give it to somebody else? I made a mistake in high school. This is before I met her. I gave this girl a card that she had given me. And it just said, from me. And I forgot it was from her. That didn't go well. Okay. Uh, a cookbook. There said a self-help book. A toothbrush. I guess that's right up there. Deodorant or soap, a number one, a gym membership. <laughs> uh, name something my people, people might keep in their cars. Okay, a scent thing? What? Tissue. I thought at first you said fish food. And I'm thinking, is your car a tank or what? <laughs> What's that? Tools? Ice scrapers, jumper cables, okay, a mask. <laughs> I do, I do, yeah, that's a new one. Okay, the flare, a gas can, a spare clothes, jumper cable, spare tire, first aid kick, food, water, oh, see, for the fish, okay, <laughs> money or coins. In the Old Testament, let's, let's see where you were for this last week, if you remember anything. In the Old Testament, I'm going to simplify, start not with that one. In the Old Testament, um, the Sabbath day came how often? Sabbath day. Once a week. Okay. The Sabbath year now came how often? Every seven years. Okay. Let's go a little bit further. The Jews did not observe how many Sabbath years when they were a nation. They did 500 years worth or 70 of the Sabbath years, okay, that they didn't do it. So God disciplined them. Who did God use to give them a God spank? The Babylonians came in and invaded. What books tell us mostly about that? What book uh, gives us firsthand information about the information about one of the prophets? Let's, let's narrow it. Daniel. 
Daniel. So we're going to start in Revelation 6, and then we're going to jump to the book of, of, of um, Daniel and do it. And uh, we've already mentioned the Babylonians. God took them out for 70 years. The reason that we're talking about this is as we get into the book of Revelation, which we are in chapter 6, we are starting the section that's going to talk about the tribulation. The tribulation is the last seven years of human history, and then Jesus will interrupt it by his second coming and start a new phase. And in that final seven years, okay, uh, it is as described in the Bible as being the worst time in all of human history. There's going to be three sets of seven judgments. There's the seal judgment, the bowl judgment, and the trumpet judgment. During this time, Antichrist will rise to the point where by the middle of that time, he is the world dictator, dominator, and totally in charge for the last three and a half years. During that time, God will raise up new witnesses. He'll raise up 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe that will be specially anointed to be witnesses. He will also have the two prophets who will do many signs and miracles and wonders and center their ministry there around the rebuilt temple. During that time, demonic opposition will be like never before. The deception, the, the miracles... The signs, the wonders, it is going to be at an all-time high, as well as persecution, as well as sin running rampant, as well as the death rate. Within the first period of time, there is going to be, it says in the first, basically, within two of the different judgments, one half of the humankind will die at that time, one third of the humankind will die of the remaining so it's going to be a huge amount of death that's taking place. It'll wrap up with what is the Battle of Armageddon, a series of battles that culminate <clears throat> with a war that's taking place outside of the city of Jerusalem that is a world war. Uh, whether it's going to be called World War Three or if there's something in between there, I don't know. But it's going to be a major world war where at Armageddon, uh, it is the mankind is at the point of, of uh, total annihilation of himself, and Jesus Christ will interrupt and come down from heaven and uh, put an end to all of that warfare and everything else. <clears throat> we are going to talk about that time. And in fact, hopefully we will end up with this section, Revelation 6, where he says, I saw when the Lamb opened, and this is the beginning of the tribulation, and I heard, okay, the noise of thunder, and the four beasts said, Come and see, and I, be, and I saw, and behold, a white horse. Him that sat on him had a bow. It, something's missing in that verse, by the way. It had no arrows. No arrows. He has a bow, but no arrows. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see what this is. And there went out another horse that was red. The power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard a third beast say, Come and see, and behold, a black horse. He that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, and I heard the voice of the, in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. Um, just as a pause there, what's he describing? What, what does he mean by uh, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of wheat for barley? Okay, there, there's going to be exorbitant food costs. There's going to be famine. And he's talking about how expensive. A, day, uh, a day's worth of labor will get you one sandwich. 
Okay? So you think food prices are not are real high now. It'd be like to get one burger. Okay, you have to work for an entire day, which poses a problem. How do you feed? Yeah, okay. Then he goes on, he says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard say, Come and say in a pale horse, his name that sat on him was death. Hell followed after him. Power was given over unto them to kill one-fourth part of the earth, to kill a sword, hunger, death, and what else is going to bring about so many deaths? The beasts of the field. Okay, we're going to come back to this. Okay, jump over to Daniel. Hopefully you have this sheet. If you walked in and did not get this, feel free to step back and get a copy of this sheet. It's a chart of uh, different things. I'm hopefully making it a little bit easier for you. In the book of Daniel, the setting that we talked about last week is Daniel is, um, has been a captive for about 68 years. The Jews were taken captive, the first group of them, when the Babylonians invaded the land. God sent them because they had not kept Sabbaths for 70, uh, for 500 years. They had missed 70 Sabbath years. God was going to kick the Jews out of the land and keep it absolutely destitute for 70 years. The beginning of this happening was when Daniel goes into captivity. And uh, so he goes in around 605, and he is now an older man. He's reading in the book of Jeremiah. He's reading where in Jeremiah says that 70 years of captivity, and that's, then it's going to end. He's at year 68, 69 of the captivity, and he's wondering what in the world, mean, what's going to happen now? The captivity is going to end. And so God sends Gabriel to talk to Daniel to tell him what's going to happen next to the Jewish people. And we read in Daniel 9, and there's the words that are very important as the angel starts explaining. He says, 70 weeks, verse 24, are determined upon your people and upon your holy city. Without going any further, what we learn from this is something that the Jews in Babylon, they needed to hear. They needed to learn that God had not given up with the, on them, that God was not done with them. He still had a plan for them, even though they, they were in captivity. They were out of the land. They, they were under a God spank. He hasn't forgotten them. He still has a plan, and he says there is still going to be another, and he gives a time period of, and the word sevens, now some of your translations may have weeks or 77s. The word 70 and then the seven that follows is the same word in the Hebrew for uh, weeks. It's the word seven. And so sometimes we call it the 70 weeks of Daniel. Sometimes we call it the 77s. It's the same thing. Don't be confused. It's the same wording. But it comes down to 490 years are yet determined. And so we have that concept from this passage because Daniel is thinking. Seventy years are done. And thinking in years, the angel says, another 490 years are determined. We haven't forgotten you. God is going to work. But 490 years are still determined. And he breaks down that 490 weeks or years in three different phases. He says there's a period of seven weeks or 49 years. Then it's followed by 62 weeks or 434 years. That is 483 total. Then some things are going to be happening. And so the, the, the angel tells them it all starts with the signing of the treaty or the covenant. That's going to be between Antichrist and Israel. The treaty will be signed, and then there's going to be 49 and 434 years. 
During that time, then he says, then Messiah comes unto Messiah. But then he points out, he says, during that time, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back into the land. The Jews are going to be able to rebuild. They're going to rebuild, and he makes it clear, the city, the walls, the temple, which means Jerusalem is going to become prosperous once again during these 483 years, during that time period. During that time, you will face trouble sometimes which they did, even as they rebuilt. There was Nehemiah under the pressure from Sanballat, Tobiah, others. Eventually, you're going to prosper because it's going to be a street or a marketplace is going to be there. And we know historically these events happened. And then he says, after that time period, then Messiah comes. So after the 483 years, Messiah the Prince will come. And then Messiah the Prince is going to be cut off. So he'll arrive live for whatever length of time. He's going to be massacred or cut off. And then Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed after Messiah is cut off. And then he says the Jews will have a flood of trials and tribulations that will follow that. And so we ask that question again, did these things happen in history? Did Messiah come after the 483 years? Okay, and we know that that's true. We talked about it last week. We made observation that we don't know what decree it is. In the Old Testament, there are three, actually there are four, but there are three decrees that would be strong possibilities. The one, if you do the dating, it came in 536, it would end up at 55 B.C. Messiah came after that. Okay? The one would that decree was in 520, then it means after 37 B.C., Messiah came after that. We know that. The one in 458 would bring it to 26 AD. Then the question is, well, Jesus was born before that time. So what could he mean by Messiah coming? His baptism or the idea of the presentation where the Jews are saying, okay, here he comes at at the uh, Passover during that uh, we call the triumphal entry. That's a possibility. Somebody pointed out, I hadn't mentioned it, but for your information, and I I believe I need to mention because it's going to come up in a lot of books of research you would do. There was a fourth decree mentioned in the Old Testament. It's in 44 B.C. If you jump ahead 483 years, that puts you at uh, 39 A.D., but if you start thinking, wait a minute, years, what, how do we, uh, number of days in our years? Okay, number of days in prophetic years? 360. Do you remember how the book of Revelation talks about 360, 360? So if you convert all of these into 360 instead of 365, that brings you back to about 32 A.D., Okay, with that fourth one, which there was a gentleman a number of years ago who put out a whole book. It's still very popularized. He did it, all the research, somehow, some way, figured it all out. That he said, okay, then that means Jesus Christ came in the triumphal entry on April 6, 32 AD. That was exciting. That was, that hit all the Bibles. It's still being commonly promoted. And, uh, and it, you know, and do we know for sure that's the case? We don't know. Okay, um, there's debate, debate whether that's the exact date, and he could somehow figure by going reverse. Um, here's the point you have. Since this guy did that book, which was done in 1895, since that time, there has been more, document, more archaeological findings and records that have 
clearly made it, made it clear in recent times that Herod died in 4 BC. Okay, King Herod, how does this play into all of this? If Herod dies in 4 BC and Jesus, Jesus had to be born before Herod, Jesus had, would have died right around... He would have been born, let's say he was born at 5 BC. He lived 33 years. What year would he have died? Right around 28, 29, something like that. That means that, you know, he's off by his calculations. And yet, you know, it sounds really good to say it's to the exact date, but he's off by two years at least uh, in his calculations because of recent research that has come up that has proven that Herod died in 4 BC. Be that as it may, whether you, whatever the dates are, we know that it did happen. There was decrees, whatever which one it was, Messiah came after those decrees, and we know the temple was destroyed in what year? 70 AD. So there's a gap of time between Jesus, his death, and the temple being destroyed. And did the Jews suffer persecution for the generations to follow? Yeah, they have under all the genocide. So somewhere in here, there's gaps of time. Already put right from the time that Jesus arrives to his death to the destruction of Jerusalem, God has put in some gaps. And so when after that, sometime after that, then God says there's going to be the final week. And the final week is called the 70th week of Daniel. It is also referred to as what we would call the tribulation period. What do we know about that tribulation period? Based on what Daniel says here in the rest of this chapter, where he says, okay, and we're jumping down to verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate one. What's that all mean? Uh, okay, let's describe what Daniel has just said, what the angel has just told Daniel, excuse me, about this 70th week, this tribulation period. This prophecy tells us that this is a Jewish time period. It is designed to deal the last seven years of dealing with the Jews as a nation. It is not for the church peoples. It is for the Jews. With that in mind, we know that it's a period of seven years. I'm trying to be very simple, okay, so that we all get this, because for me, I have to go over and over it to make sense. It starts with a treaty that's going to be between Israel and some major world leader who eventually becomes Antichrist. We know that these are the facts from this passage, okay? Time for Jews, seven years, treaty between Israel and the major world ruler. We also know that this major world ruler is going to come from some region where it had to be in the ancient Roman Empire. The reason we say that is because in the previous verse, he talks about the people of the prince that shall come. He's referring to Messiah is the prince that shall come. The people of the prince will come and destroy Jerusalem. Who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? The Roman Empire. So the Antichrist, the prince, comes from that group of people. He has come from somewhere where the ancient Roman Empire was. Is that the city of Rome? Is that in some of the region they had conquered? Is it the Ukraine, you know, uh, somebody that might come from the Eastern Europe scene, 
Well, Rome did extend into those regions. So we don't know. We just don't know. But he's going to come from that Western Empire, okay? The Western world as we know it, the Mediterranean world. This major world ruler, we know that he's an extremely wicked man. He won't keep his covenant. He is, he is referred to as committing abominations. He is even going to cause the sacrifices to cease. He is called the desolator in this text. So this gives us a description of this person that makes the treaty with the Jews. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing to the Jews. Okay? And so he's a very wicked man. What happens in the middle of the week, he breaks his treaty. This is where he breaks his word. His seven-year treaty, all of a sudden he'll break it. And um, at that time, when he breaks it, he will force the Jews to cease their sacrifices. No more sacrifices. What does that tell you about the temple? Okay. Is there a temple right now? No. But before this time where he causes sacrifices to cease, what has to happen? The temple has to be rebuilt. Okay? And uh, so according to this passage, he's telling, he's telling that the temple will be destroyed. It was done in 70 A.D. And Daniel, it's going to be destroyed, but it's going to be rebuilt again sometime by, in history. And the wicked ruler is going to stop the sacrifices. Temple sacrifices, the Jewish, the Jewish sacrifices. They'll be doing what they did in the Old Testament. Yeah, it'll be that. They'll revert back the temple. There will be the offerings. They'll be doing worship like they did in the Old Testament. Yeah, if so, it'll be a reversion of that, a redoing of it. If the Jews could have their temple now, would they do would they do offerings and sacrifices? If they were going to follow their Old Testament, they would do it. Um, but they, there's a problem with getting that temple rebuilt. Right now, what's the problems? Okay, the question is, where exactly was the ancient temple? Some think it was where the Dome of the Rock is. So in order to build a Jewish temple, what do you have to do? Tear down a Muslim site. Okay, if it was on that exact site. Um, so if the Jews start doing this at this moment, you know, is that part of the treaty? That they're allowed to rebuild the temple. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But could it be? Okay. Um, so then they're going, this man, what we know from the text is this. We, we know that there's going to be a temple sometime, some, whenever it gets built. We know that sacrifices will be taken, they'll be stopped. Or we be given and they'll be stopped. We know from this text that he will perform abomination. Now in the book of Daniel... Previous to this, there was a description of a man who was performing an abomination. Anybody remember what he did? <clears throat> he went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig. Okay, and they called that the abomination of desolation. That was somebody that desecrated the temple. That's the idea. Okay, so this guy is going to desecrate the temple in some way, shape, or form. Okay. We don't, Daniel didn't know. We have other references that tell us, but we're not there yet. Okay, for right now where we're at in building our, our knowledge, there's going to be a desecration of the temple by Antichrist. And that'll all take place right in that middle of the tribulation. 
This is followed by three and a half years of what is called the Great Tribulation. This is going to be the time where the Jews are going to suffer even worse persecution. At the end of that time, the desolator is judged. The desolator is Antichrist. He is judged. In other words, he is all of a sudden, you know, he's going to be defeated. He's going to be wiped out. And you and I know who's going to defeat this Antichrist. Jesus Christ. Okay, the Messiah is going to do that. And then, and that'll happen at the end of the seven years, and then Messiah will come and set up his kingdom. So the defeat of Antichrist and the Messiah coming and the setting up of the kingdom, they all occur at the end of these 490 years. Could there be a slight gap of days, weeks in between there? Yes. We know that from other prophecies. But for the sake of what Daniel is being told, this is the, this is the format, just like your chart has now. <clears throat> the chart that you have in front of you shows you some of this, and then God, Christ will set up his kingdom. Okay? That's not the only passage that gives us some information. We can jump and hear what Jesus said in giving us more information. Go to Matthew 24. Years have gone by. The temple has been, um, has been, really, uh, has been rebuilt since Daniel's day and is really one of the ancient wonders of the world. And Jesus and the disciples, Jesus is in Jerusalem during his last week. Jesus and the disciples are at the end of one evening of speaking. It seems as if they're walking past the temple area and comments are being made about how beautiful this temple is because it was, it was the sight to behold. And as they're walking by, it says, Jesus went out, departs from the temple, and he says to his disciples uh, for to show him the buildings. You know, they wanted... Do you see this? They're showing off the temple. Jesus, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this gorgeous? Type thing. And Jesus' response in verse 2, See you not all these things? I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. It shall be thrown down. What's he saying? The temple's going to be destroyed. Where did you read that? In Daniel. Daniel said, after Messiah comes, what will happen to the temple? It'll be destroyed. Jesus is confirming this. Jesus is Messiah. He said, there's going to be coming a day. And he goes, walks with the disciples, and as they're going, they go up to the Mount of Olives, so they're overlooking the city, and the disciples, okay, the disciples are, are they're chewing this over. What do you mean it's going to be destroyed? Daniel talked about the temple being destroyed, and after the temple is destroyed, the kingdom's coming. It's close to the end of the kingdom. You know, so that means we must be in the, you know, the last few years in the kingdoms. And as they said, they said, tell us, when shall these things be? And by the way, who comes back at the, right, right during that time to set up the kingdom? Who's got to come back? Jesus Christ. Watch what they say. Tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and... The end of the ages as we know it. In other words, when is the kingdom coming? They're asking similar question to Daniel. Are we there yet? What's going to happen? What, you know, what's going on? And so Jesus, you know, they're thinking it all goes together. Jesus says, and he confirms this, he talks about the Son of Man shall come. If you go further in the passage, we're, we're jumping towards the end of what Jesus said. Jump down to verse 27. 
Okay. He says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he says in verse 29, when is it going to happen? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the earth shall be shaken, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with great sound and gather everyone from the four corners. So what we have is Jesus is saying, he's confirming what Daniel said. Yep, I'm here, I'm going to be slain. He's already told them that four times in the Gospels. I'm going to be slain. They still don't get it, but they argue about it. And he says, I'm going to die. The temple will be destroyed, just like Daniel said. And then he's going to explain what happens after that. He jumps all the way to, we jumped all the way in. I will come back. I will come at the end of the tribulation. So this discussion now is his explanation and prophecies about the tribulation. This final 70th week. Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not soon troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. Okay? Let's see what he's done here. Okay? So Jesus is talking about the tribulation. He is going to explain, just like Daniel did, there's two halves to it. Or two parts to it, two phases to it. The beginning and then the latter part. And so what he does is he says, here is the beginning of the sorrows. He's talking about which half of the tribulation. The beginning, the first three and a half years that Daniel's talked about. What does he say is going to happen during those first three and a half years? The Jews will hear, keyword. They're going to hear of universal international wars. The reason I'm stressing they hear of it is because it's not happening to them. This is outside of Israel, okay, during the first part of the tribulation. Okay, they're hearing of international warfare. They're, he they're hearing of famines, pestilences, earthquakes, they are going to be suffering greatly after the beginning of sorrows. It says, then what happens? What's after the beginning? Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive. And because of iniquity that will abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end shall be the same shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. That's the second half of the tribulation that he talks about. And so he says that during that time, many false prophets, iniquity will abound. Many Jews will die. 
He talks about the gospel will be going into all the nations. And then we'll have the end of it. Okay? He's given us a capsule description of seven years. Then what he does is he explains what happens during those seven years. When you therefore... Now now he's getting very practical. Now guys, believers, whoever's reading this... When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, okay? And when is the abomination of desolation that was spoken by Daniel the prophet? When does it occur during that seven years? At the three and a half year mark, okay? When you see this, then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of it. Neither let him which is in the field return back. Woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, nor in the Sabbath. For then shall be... What's he say? What's he call it? Verse 21. The great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, how many would live? None. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And then, there, then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Messiah, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise many false Christ prophets. They shall do great signs and wonders. Give me another word for that. Miracles, inasmuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive who? The very elect. Behold, I've told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, don't go there. So now he's, he's given the seven years. Now he's giving some additional information about, you know, about those seven years. You're going to need to flee for your lives. So what does that tell you about the Jews during the second half, during the Great Tribulation? Okay, they're going to be persecuted. And he calls it the great tribulation. And he describes it as the worst. And he says, the false prophets, they're going to do great signs and wonders. That's what Jesus said about the tribulation period. And then right after that, immediately after the tribulation, what's he going to do? He's going to appear in heavens. So that's the Matthew 24. Let's chart it. Okay, from comparing to what Daniel gave. What Daniel said was a treaty... First three and a half years, in the middle, there's going to be a breaking of the treaty. Antichrist will all of a sudden set him up, desecrate the temple, and the Antichrist will go after the Jews. What does Jesus say? In the first three and a half years, you're going to hear of the beginning of the sorrows, international warfare, major earthquakes, pestilence and famines, and sin will be abounding. But then he says, it's going to be the abomination of desolation, just like Daniel said. Surprise. And then he says, after that, the great tribulation, the Jews must flee, the false prophets doing miracles. Okay, worst time in human history, and the gospel will be going worldwide. Then he's going to come. At the end of that time period, then he will return, according to the verses, and then gather all the nations. Okay, let's do another passage. Go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. By the way, is there any contradiction in what these, what these prophecies have given so far? Is there harmony between the prophecies? Yes. Okay. Perfect harmony. Let's go to Second Thessalonians. What did Paul reveal about the future? 
This is the passage that they are writing, and they're saying, what about us? Are we going into the tribulation period? Understand, at the moment that the, Paul is writing, there is great persecution happening. You've got, right around this time period, what emperor in Rome is crazy? Nero. And the Jews are being, starting to be slaughtered. Remember, the city is burnt, and who does he blame for it? The Christians. And so there's imperial. There's going to be ten imperial uh, uh, persecutions. And uh, Nero heads up one of them. And so these people are wondering, are we in the tribulation already? And so in chapter 2, he's writing and saying, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together, be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither in the spirit nor by the word nor by the letter from us, as the day of the Lord is at hand. In other words, calm down, calm down. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except. And then he gives some signs that were not in those days yet. And so what he does is he's writing to these people, and he's going to describe Antichrist as one of the signs. And he's describing it, and when he describes the man, this this whole passage is about Antichrist. He's one of the signs. What does verse 3, I already put it up there. Verse 3 describes him as the man of sin, the son of perdition. So, good guy, bad guy. Okay, evil. Okay, so he's describing an evil guy. What's he called in verse 8? What terms does he use for him? The wicked one, okay? Okay, he calls him that wicked one, literally. What does he do according to verse 4? What does this guy do, according to verse 4? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that as God, what does he do then? He sits in the temple of God, showing himself to be who? Showing himself to be God. So he is opposed to anything good. And he eventually puts himself on the temple and does he go and sit on the mercy seat and say, I am God? What would you call that if somebody were to do that to the temple? Would you call that a desecration of the temple? Yes, no. Would you call it an abomination? Okay, so this guy's going to do that. And according to verse 9... What else does he do? Feel free to read and say something. Okay. He's going to be coming after who's helping him? Satan. Okay. What does he do? Miracles. There you go. The powers, the signs, the lying wonders. So he's going to be coming. He's going to be one who's empowered and doing counter miracles, counterfeit miracles. Okay, and so he's claiming to be God. He's doing miracles. Is he a false Messiah then? Yes. Okay, so we have that. And he's going to says that he's working with all deceivableness in verse 10 and unrighteousness. Okay, all deceivable and unrighteousness. How did Jesus say it? Uh, Except uh, that he was doing it in such a way that even who could have been deceived? Even the elect. So here we have confirmation of that very same thing. What ultimately happens to him? According to verse 8, what ultimately happens? 
Who's going to take him out? The Lord will consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So when is he taken out? He's taken out by Jesus, but when? When he comes at his coming. Okay, so he's very clear in giving us some details. Messiah, or I'm sorry, Antichrist will be defeated by Jesus when Jesus returns. Okay, and so does this sound like other prophecy you just read? Okay, so we put this one and say, um, let's, let's back up to the beginning of the text. When is this wicked one revealed in this prophecy? That was the question. When is the wicked one revealed? He cannot be revealed until something happens. Okay. He says it makes it very clear in the text. Oh, let's jump down. He says, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Verse 7, only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked one be revealed. So in verse 7, only he who now restrains, will continue to restrain until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked one be revealed. So the wicked one can't be revealed until who is taken away. Okay, so we understand it, as we've talked about, it's that Holy Spirit indwelling the church. Okay, then he's revealed by a seven-year treaty. Therefore, he has to be around sometime prior to establishing this treaty. He has to be around. Okay. Could he be alive now? He could be. We don't know. We don't know. Okay. If the rapture were to take place, if, if God planned the rapture to take place you know, this afternoon, then the chances are Antichrist is alive and well on planet Earth already. Because shortly, sometime after the rapture takes place, he's going to be in a position to be able to get a treaty with Israel. So we, but we don't know that. We don't know that. We surmise that, you know, he's going to be alive for how long beforehand? Well, that's just common sense. He's got to be an adult. He's got to be alive to make the treaty, which begins the tribulation. So he's alive for what years before the tribulation. But that's what we know, okay? Uh, the domination is, again, only happens in the second half. Then he becomes extremely dominant, as we'll see in the book of Revelation. So let's chart... This passage, with what we already got from Daniel. Treaty, treaty broken, Jesus returns, broken into two phases. Antichrist is revealed by the treaty. He begins the working of his iniquities in the first three and a half years. He's empowered by Satan, sits in the temple, the abomination at the middle point, and then he will continue to do signs and wonders and miracles. If you want to put it there, Revelation 12 and 13 is that second half. That's where he is described with all his activity that we are going to get to. In fact, he will have a great statue built about him, and from this statue he will gain control of the entire world through those types of mediums. Then Jesus will return. At his coming, he's going to destroy this person, this one. Okay? So, let's go back to Revelation 6. Okay? You tell me Revelation 6. The first seal. What was the first seal? Now we're bringing all of this to see if they match. Revelation 6, the very first seal. What is it? It's a white horse. The rider on the horse has what in his hands? 
a bow without, without, without arrows, okay? What is he doing? What's the activity? He goes about and does what? Conquers. How does he conquer without military weapons? How do you conquer people without weapons? Can you do it politically? Can you conquer with treaties? Can you promise peace? Okay, let, let, me, let me ask it this way. How did Hitler get Czechoslovakia? Treaties. Britain and France gave up Czechoslovakia through a treaty. There was no warfare at that moment. And what did Chamberlain hold up the newspapers? You see those famous pictures? And he says, we have gained peace in our time. Okay? And then what happened two years later? World War. Okay? Could that ever happen again in history? We know it's going to happen. There's going to be some person, some character who conquers much of the world... Okay, as we're talking about the political world, he's going to conquer uh, through taking control, through treaties. He's going to talk about, well, absolutely, you know it by the next verse. The next verse says, what is going to be taken away? The next couple of verses. With the second seal, what is taken away from the earth? Peace. So what does the first one tell you? What does he promote? He promotes peace. Okay. So the first seal is somebody who's coming or somebody, something, who's going to try to bring everybody together. And I sit there and I go, are we living in a day that people will buy into resolution to economic problems? Are we living in a day? Are we living in a day that even the American electorate can put their brain in a basket and give in to just getting back. Is that, is that true of our society anymore? Okay. So you can see this would be easy to do in our time. Okay. So second seal, before I run out of time. What's the second seal? What is it? Redness. The horse that's red. What's, he, what's that describing? Warfare. Okay, the second one is warfare, lots of killing is going to be taking place. Peace is taken away. What's your next seal? The black horse. What's he represent? The black horse, the balance, holding the balances, a measure of wheat for a penny. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay, what are we describing here? Famines. Okay, so we're describing famines, some of those... Uh, events that are taking place that contribute to the famines, the pestilences, all that kind of thing. Verses 7 and 8, what's your next one? Pale horse of death, okay? Lots of people dying. That one quarter of mankind living on earth will die. What's your next seal represent? We're going down to verse 9, okay? There's going to be people sitting in heaven saying, How long, O Lord, until you avenge? What's that mean? Why are they in heaven? They're martyrs. Okay, so we have the idea many saints are being persecuted and martyred during that first period. Okay, there's going to be lots of people killed. Verse 12 and following, what's the sixth seal? You got it in verse 12. Okay, there's going to be the great earthquake, the stars of heaven. And this is the beginning of the wrath. So you have natural disasters are going to be increasing and abounding. Okay, during that, during that part. 
Excuse me. And then your seventh seal becomes the opening of the trumpet judgments, the next set. Okay? This, by the way, this part, the seals are in the first part of the tribulation. Because then we get into the period of great wrath, which is the second part of the tribulation. So let's put it on our charts. Okay? Let's see what we got. We got the rapture would take place. Then there's a treaty. Then we know that the, in the middle of this time period, the treaty is broken. Antichrist takes over. He'll rule until Jesus Christ returns. And according to this, combining all the texts, take what Jesus said, take what Revelation says, in the first half, Antichrist rises to power. We even saw that in Thessalonians. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars outside of the land of Israel. There's going to be famines and pestilences, mostly outside the land of Israel. Persecutions and death. Then as well, there's natural disasters. There's earthquakes. And sin abounds. Matthew, Thessalonians, Daniel, do they agree with the book of Revelation? How do they fit? Like the proverbial hand in a glove. Why is that? Because God's the one in charge. God's writing all this. Does God, does God contradict himself? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. By the way, in your second half, you have what Jesus and the others said, which we're going to start studying now back in Revelation 6. Satan fills Antichrist. He exalts himself. The main focus of the second half, if, and I'm going to add to it just right now, Satan is cast out of heaven when that treaty is broken. Satan comes to earth angry. He knows his time is. So who's he go after? According to Revelation 12, he goes after the Jews, tries to wipe them out. But God miraculously protects them. And that's part of all that bold judgments and trumpet judgments. The bottom line is God's in charge. And the here's something that doesn't encourage, but it's a reality. It's going to get blank before it gets blank. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But eventually it gets the best. <laughs> yeah, eventually the Lord comes back. And uh, we enter into a kingdom. And even though it's the worst time in human history, we know that the best time in human history is still ahead. Maybe today. Maybe today. Thanks. Let's pick up there next in April. We'll pick up in Revelation 6.